Welcome to episode 196 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Robert, who last joined us for episode 171 of the podcast, which was our Chadwick Boseman tribute episode. This episode is, of course, our spoiler review for The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode two, The Star-Spangled Man, directed by Kari Skoglin, written by Michael Castelline, and the head writer for the series is Malcolm Spellman. Before we begin breaking down this episode, just want to let you know what we've got going on on the Patreon. Lots of exclusive podcasts, including Patreon credit scenes, where this week, for the first time ever, we had the corresponding Patreon credit scene happen before. So the Patreon credit scene for episode 196, this podcast that you're about to listen to, I actually posted it earlier this week, reacting to the news about Black Widow moving to July 9th, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings moving to September 3rd of this year, and of course with Black Widow being on July 9th, the fact that it will be day and date in theaters and on Disney Plus with Premiere Access. So we have exclusive podcasts like that, also an exclusive Discord community, all available at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. Or you can just click the link in the show notes for this episode. Don't forget to follow us all those places you can on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at MCU Fan Show. And if you are enjoying the podcast, we would love for you to let the world know it by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much to all of you who have already taken the time to do just that. Now, on with our show. Welcome back to MCU Fan Show, Robert. How's it going? How you doing, Sean? How you doing, man? Good to be back on. I'm doing great. Thank you for coming back. I'm really excited to talk to you about The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and we're going to be talking about Episode 2, but since you haven't been on the show in a bit, I want to first ask you your thoughts on Episode 1. How did you like last week's episode before we get into this week's? Oh, I really liked it. I, uh, it kind of hit home for me, being you know uh, ex-military. It was kind of... Uh, appreciated how what Sam was going through being back, you know, uh, after the post snap and everything and seeing what he went through as far as like his family legacy and everything being, uh, you know, a hero and post military career and stuff like that. So it kind of, this, this one kind of, you know, is, 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 uh, hitting home for me a little bit. Yeah. I really loved last week's episode and I was equally impressed by episode two of the Falcon and the winter soldier Let's go ahead and let's jump into it. As we always do here, we're going to go beat by beat, scene by scene for this episode. And we start with Good Morning America, which wasn't just the beginning of a speech. It was actually Good Morning America. That's what you get to do when you're Disney and you own Good Morning America and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So uh, what we first see, though, before the television appearance is we see John Walker, played by Wyatt, Wyatt Russell, the new Captain America, getting ready. And he's in his old high school locker room. We meet his high school sweetheart, now wife, Olivia Walker, played by Gabrielle Bindloss. And John Walker seems to understand at least some of the burden that comes along with being Captain America. He certainly understands the burden of expectations because he talks about how everybody expects something from him and he doesn't want to fail them. And I think he's genuine in that. I just don't know if he fully understands everything that's going on right now, but he seems to genuinely care about his status as Captain America, even if maybe he doesn't wield that in the best possible way later on. Uh, we also meet his best friend and eventual sidekick, Lamar Hoskins, played by Clay Bennett. And Walker is rehearsing his speech. 
And we learn a little bit more about how sudden this was because Hoskins talks about how they were on a special ops mission in, in Chile a couple of weeks ago. And now all of a sudden, here we are. And Walker is complaining a bit about all the other aspects of the role, not just Captain America, the soldier going out and fighting, but the other stuff that Cap does. The handshakes, the speeches, the meetings with senators. And Hoskins actually is the one who points out to him that this is all part of the job and you can't just punch your way out of problems anymore. It says time to go to work. But I found that kind of interesting. And that's where there was a little bit of a little bit of common ground between John Walker and Steve Rogers. If we think about their initial days as Captain America, the initial days as Captain America for Steve Rogers was going on a tour and selling war bonds. That's what he was doing. And it was all that same sort of stuff. Photo ops, handshakes, meetings with senators and all of that kind of stuff that John, that Steve was not interested in. And of course, John Walker has no more interest in it than Steve ever did. And we start to see, I mean, there are big differences between John Walker and Steve Rogers that we'll get to as this episode goes on. But I found that really interesting in that sense of get us getting to know John Walker a little bit and seeing that he's not just this immediately evil a-hole guy that we should hate. I mean, we kind of hate him anyway because he's wearing, he's, <laughs> he's got Cap's shield, uh, the real Cap, Steve Rogers. He's got, and then eventually Sam, possibly. Um, he's got Cap's shield. He's wearing a costume that looks like Captain America's, but doesn't really. Um, and so, yeah, there's obviously as an audience with an emotional attachment to Steve Rogers as Captain America, we were ready to embrace Sam Wilson because that was Steve's choice. Um, and Steve believed in Sam to carry on the legacy, and many of us did as well. We didn't choose John Walker. A bunch of government right. people we don't really know chose John Walker. But I do think it was important to take that step and show us a little bit of who he is and that he's not just he's not automatically the guy to hate in the way that maybe we initially thought he was when we saw him winking at the camera like a doofus. No, I, I just think that he's he's a guy taking advantage of a privilege that he's he's receiving. You know, like of course you're going to take advantage if you get the opportunity, but there's more to it than, you know, you've, you've got guys like Sam and Bucky that have actually fought you know side by side with Steve, and they have more right to it than he does. But we we know he's taking advantage of, of a privilege and uh, uh, opportunity. That that's how I see it. He's not necessarily a bad guy, but mm -hmm. you know he he's just. Like I said, he 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 knows that that there's there's an issue there, but he's just gonna, you know, wing it pretty much. Yeah, I don't think he's overtly a bad guy. I, I do think he makes some problematic choices, but he also comes across more as a guy who's not necessarily checking his privilege and, and certainly having some blind spots that uh, that some people have. But we get to the next phase, and and I think this is where even as this series is trying to get us to, I don't know, it's humanizing John Walker for us in this opening scene. But this is a show where clearly the creators understand how we're going to feel about this new Captain America. And they totally rub salt in that wound by having him come out to Star Spangled Man with the high school marching band and the drum line and everything. Right. And the song sounds great, by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. I love this rendition of the Star Spangled Man. But this is... Steve's song, or I mean, Steve's got multiple songs and, and themes in the MCU, but this is something that was for Steve and part of his initial uh, introduction as Captain America in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
and it kind of it hurts a little bit. It stings a little bit more just to hear that music being played for John Walker. But I, I think it's also part of that reflection of this is kind of how things started for Steve. And this is how they're starting in a more modern context for John Walker as Captain America. And just mm-hmm. like Captain America used to sign autographs for kids and all of that stuff. Well, here's the new cap walking around the stands and high fiving people, signing autographs, posing for selfies and um, and so we see some of these similar things, and then he's sitting down and he's being interviewed by Good Morning America, uh, speaking with Sarah Haynes, and he says it's the greatest honor of his life, and he kind of does that aw shucks humble thing of how did a guy like me <laughs> yeah. end up here? And then right. we actually we do get his resume as Sarah Haynes breaks it down. He's the first person in American history to receive three medals of honor. Uh, The government did a study of his body at MIT, and he tested off the charts in every measurable category. And we're seeing video of this. It's not just Sarah Haynes talking about it. We see video of this. We see him actually throwing the shield, and he doesn't have superpowers. He is not a super soldier. He's just a regular, well, I wouldn't call him a regular guy, but um, he's just an exceptionally talented and and gifted, physically gifted human being, as we see with his his shield game is pretty strong. I, I won't lie. Um, but he doesn't have superpowers, and he even says that he's not Tony Stark, he's not Dr. Banner. What he has, he doesn't have gadgets or super strength. What he does have are, he's got guts, which is what he feels Cap needs to have. Um, and then he's asked if he knew Steve Rogers, and he's, he didn't, and he says he followed his career closely. Steve Rogers gave him hope. And then Walker says, even though I never met him, he feels like a brother. And right. I know that's a line that makes people mad. It certainly mm-hmm. makes Bucky mad when he's watching on TV. I wasn't as mad at that line because uh, I, I think I kind of understand it. Like, it does feel like it's a relationship that John Walker can't really claim. But at the same time, and, and Robert, I think you can speak to you can certainly speak to this better than I can. But he, John Walker would not is, is not the first person that I've heard who's a veteran who's referred to veterans who've gone before him as a brother, you know, as somebody well, that they share a bond with through similar experiences, even if they never met. Um, but I was curious to hear uh, your take on on what on John Walker and the way he characterized uh, that feeling of being like a brother to Steve Rogers. I mean, I, I can understand the brother in arm thing, just just like just like Sam did. Let's not forget Winter Soldier. He pretty much talked to the guy, mm-hmm. you know, at, at the at the uh, monument. Just it's pretty much the same thing. Like you can get behind a guy like that just just by looking at his resume, looking at his record. Because we, we all know Steve wasn't all about the, the the dog and pony show. He was about getting the work done, and he was about you know camaraderie and stuff like that. So that's that's what you kind of get behind. I, I can see what he where he's getting at with that. Like like you were saying, he just wants to get the work done. He doesn't want to do all the, uh, the 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 prim and proper stuff. So I I guess I can kind of see it that way. But I, I see how people are upset about him outright calling him a brother. But I think that's what he meant in the first place. Right. I actually didn't take that as one of the more cringy things that John Walker said in this episode or did in this episode. This that line, I totally get why people are upset because we're looking at it from the perspective of the people we know and love and care about, Sam and Bucky and Steve. So it does feel like it feels like it's crossing a line when John Walker says that, but at the same time I could see where his intentions would not have been I'm trying to do this to glorify myself and, and say that I w- I'm connected to Steve in some way that I'm not. He was very honest in that, no, he never met him, but this is where he feels a little bit of that kinship. But obviously, Bucky, 
not really having it. Um, no. And, uh, <laughs> and, and we wouldn't expect it. And I think that what's also interesting about this, though, is we do get the list of qualifications for John Walker. He is qualified for the job of Captain America. If you're going to hand the shield to somebody, these are the, some of the things you'd be looking at, or rather, maybe not necessarily qualified. He's got a resume that backs up why he would be chosen to be Captain America, but there are a lot of things, there are other factors that have nothing to do with his resume that maybe helped him, but not maybe, definitely helped him get the job. Because Definitely. let's be real, this is not a level playing field that we're talking about here. It's not yeah. like Lamar Hoskins was up for the job of Captain America. He's just going to be slotted into the sidekick role. So mm-hmm. there's the whole thing of white skin, blonde hair, and blue eyes that certainly played a huge factor in John Walker being chosen as the next Captain America, where you feel like maybe some other folks uh, were not even not even up for consideration at this point. Well, I mean, it's just just like, you know, I, I don't want to get too deep in the woods here, but like the Kaepernick thing, you, you, people got, you know, got to uh, please the masses pretty much. Like, would, would anybody get behind uh, a, a black Captain America? And I think that's another thing that Sam Sam has to think about when he's uh, taking the mantle, if he decides to take the mantle, is like, what, whatever he does is going to be scrutinized more because of who he is. You know, just, just just like this, there's that privilege and, and there there's more there's more leeway for anybody, you know, that that's not a person of color, in my opinion. So there, there's there's a huge responsibility and he doesn't want to let, you know, people down, let let his own people down, stuff like that, that I, I think, you know, and, and it, it's easier to get behind a guy like that because this is the society we live in. We live in a society where it, it's it's good for the clean cut, all shucks, you know, type dude mm-hmm. from from the country. That's 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 who most people would get behind, you know. And, and it's not not necessarily a person of color because this is the way it's always been, right? That kind of thing. I think we certainly get the sense of that is that John Walker is the easy choice, but he's also the choice that a certain group of people definitely want. I mean, whoever was involved in that decision, I mean, the guy that we, the unnamed government official from last week, I mean, he's just a stand-in for a system that Mm -hmm. was going to choose to uphold and and boost a guy like John Walker and not necessarily look in the direction of a Sam Wilson or a Lamar Hoskins or anyone else who was a black man or a person of color to not really go into that because this is supposed to be the symbol. And we need the guy who looks like Steve Rogers uh, in order to do this and has a similar resume, this is who our new Captain America is going to be. But another very important part of this, perhaps even more important, is is not so much why John Walker was chosen, but why Sam chose not to be Captain America in the first place. And I think eventually he will make a decision to be the new Captain America. But as we were talking about it uh, on the show last week, there is the question of whether or not Sam wants to of what the symbol really stands for and whether or not it stands for everyone. And if it doesn't, is that something that Sam wants to uphold? And he, of course, chose not to in the beginning of this story. And we'll see how his perspective changes. And I think there's a key part of that that's going to change his perspective a little bit later on in this episode, but I'll wait until we get to it. So the next thing we see is Sam getting ready to go on a mission in Munich, and he's there with Joaquin Torres, whom we met last week. 
and it's they're getting ready to respond to what's going on with the Flag Smashers, but we get our reunion for Sam and Bucky. So we spent the entire first episode without those two characters together at all, which I think was a very, very smart choice to give these characters who've always been in the MCU via their relationship or friendships with someone else, mainly Steve Rogers, to give them individual time in the first episode. But this is called The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and we want to see them together. So we don't have to wait very long in episode two before we get that reunion. And Bucky tells you where he's coming from with his very first line. Not like, hey, how are you, Sam? Haven't seen, you know, long time, no see. Shouldn't have given up the shield. Like, okay. Uh, so uh, Bucky's just, you know, straight to how he feels. Interesting thing for Bucky here, although it's revealed later just how intense this is for Bucky, but clearly, right from the jump, he's a lot more worried about his own pain. And mm-hmm. he's so worried about how this, how he feel, how Bucky interprets Sam's decision reflecting on Steve and therefore reflecting back on Bucky, he's too consumed by that idea to really consider or be genuinely curious about and caring about why Sam made that decision in the first place. Like Bucky doesn't care at all at right now anyway about Sam's perspective. He's just going right into it. Like you shouldn't have given up the shield and Sam's honest about it. Sam's saying it, it broke his heart to like, he didn't know that they were going to do this. And it broke his heart to see them March Walker out there and call him the new Captain America. And Bucky's wanting to just undo the whole thing. Sam's saying it's too late. You can't go to America and tell them that you changed your mind. Um, and Bucky tells Sam that he had no right to give up the shield. And then Sam responds to that. And he says, you're not going to come here in your overextended life and tell me about my rights. <laughs> it's over, Bucky. And I thought that was an important line, uh, Robert, when you're looking at Bucky being so mad and, and Sam kind of rides that wave. But Bucky does yeah. cross a line there when he when he's saying you had no right to give up the shield. And, and Sam, Sam is correct in that Bucky is in no position to be telling Sam, much less anyone, about their rights. Yeah, I mean, I think Bucky's his heart's in the right place, you know, but but he yeah, he hasn't walked a mile in Sam's shoes to, to know what he struggles with as far as, as, as taking up the mantle and what it represents. So, I mean, yeah, I think Bucky, Bucky got, has his own, his own agenda as far as why, you know, Sam has a shield in the first place. But I think, I think, uh, I think, I think, I think he's, he's got good intentions for Sam too. I don't think it's just, just his own personal thing. But like I said, he, he, he hasn't, he hasn't walked in Sam's shoes and yeah, he's had a <laughs> overextended life, but, not as not as a black man, so he he doesn't know. Yeah, I, I think for Bucky, it's just he's too mad to know any better or see any clearer than and see what he really needs to see and and see what Sam is is obviously feeling, even if Sam isn't putting words to it um, in in a very specific way. But obviously, when when Bucky brushes up against that line, Sam is ready to end the conversation, and then Sam is telling Bucky about the one super soldier that they found from the Flag Smashers. We know it's obviously going to be more than that. And uh, Sam starts talking about the big three, androids, aliens, and wizards. And uh, I thought that was funny. (laughs) Of course, we saw that clip a while ago in in the marketing for this. But then, yeah, what about Doctor Strange? A sorcerer is a wizard without a hat. Uh, Great line. I still love, like, it, it just makes me laugh with Bucky being a hipster about The Hobbit, like read it when it came out in 1937. I love that so much. Um, and then Bucky is going to tag along and, uh, Bucky's part of the mission, uh, going to Munich. And 
we get our first of two staring contests, or maybe more than that in this episode when they're on the plane. Bucky wants to know the plan, and Sam's just going with the silent treatment. And then what's interesting is when Sam tries to call Bucky Buck, as Steve did, Bucky's like, you don't get to call me that. And he kind of makes a joke about, well, Steve knew me longer and, and Steve had a plan, but it really is interesting to see Bucky bump up against that and be a little offended by it because it's really what's happening there is it's a level of familiarity that Bucky has reserved for Steve Rogers, at least for now, that Sam just doesn't get to encroach upon. Like, we're not friends like that. And and Bucky really needs to be friends with Sam and other people like that. You shouldn't just have one friendship with one person who's not even present for you anymore. Like, you need to be able to have a certain level of familiarity and a bond with people. But we see Bucky obviously resisting that because he could have leaned into it. Like when Sam calls him Buck, he could have almost accepted that as an olive branch to have a closer friendship with Sam. But instead, we see Bucky pushing back on it. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, this whole this whole uh, interaction was good for me. It was fun, you know, seeing seeing these guys go at it. Yeah, it really was. I mean, their back and forth is awesome. And then Sam jumps out of the plane. And of course, he's got wings. Bucky does not have wings. And there's no parachute either. So yeah. rips the sleeve off. We get the vibranium arm. And I love when he jumps out of the plane because it's like when Steve did it at the beginning of Captain America, the Winter Soldier, like Steve's super cool about it. Right. And I love that Bucky tries to be as cool, but then he isn't because you hear that. <laughs> you hear that scream as he right. jumps out of the plane. Uh, and then you get just a crash landing because, yeah, Steve was doing that to jump into the ocean. Uh, Bucky was jumping into the woods uh, a lot harder. But anyway, yeah, Sam, Sam got it all on camera. Yeah, yeah, I got all that on camera. You know that, right? And of course, it's it's uh, it's Red Wing that's filming it. And Bucky hates Red Wing for whatever reason. But Black Widow wasn't a fan of Red Wing either. Um, right. So Bucky catches up with Sam in this broken down building and they see the flag smashers and they're loading trucks and they assume that they're smuggling weapons, which we find out, of course, is not true. And then when Bucky's ready to just immediately spring into action, Sam makes a joke, and it's a joke that Bucky doesn't like when Sam says, we're not assassins, because Bucky was an assassin. Um, right. And Bucky just walks away, and, and Sam just tries to be, like, you know, saying he was just kidding or whatever. But I also like when Sam is making a comment about Bucky being all stealthy and saying a little time in Wakanda, and he comes out White Panther. And yeah. then Bucky corrects him, though, and says it's actually White Wolf. And what I thought was interesting was the way Sam clocked that, and Sam was like, huh? And I think Sam kind of liked that name. And I I think there's a part of Sam that respected that Bucky earned some other sort of title for himself uh, that Wakanda gave him. And I'm curious because I I think that White Wolf name that we heard at the very end in the post credit scene for Black Panther, it almost felt like something that wasn't really going to be brought back. But Bucky's not supposed to be the Winter Soldier anymore. I mean, he even says it. That's part of his making amends and all of that, right? Is just saying, I'm no longer the Winter Soldier. So I've been not necessarily as keen on the idea of Bucky being called the White Wolf in any permanent sort of way. But if Bucky remembers that title, maybe he actually kind of likes it. And even Sam kind of respects it. It it made me feel like maybe we're going to get more of that, of, of Bucky taking on the role of, of being the white wolf because he, he can't continue to go by winter soldier and maybe he could just go by Bucky all the time. But it started giving me more of a sense that we might hear him being called the white wolf by the end of this. 
Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that he he uh, he enjoyed his time in Wakanda. Like he embraced being you know being at peace out there. So I I think that he he wants to keep that part of himself. So yeah, I think he's just going to embrace the title. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, and their back and forth throughout all of this was great. I, I loved that when Bucky was talking about, I've got a vibranium arm, and Sam goes, and I can fly. Who gives a shit? I thought was really, really <laughs> great. And uh, so Sam is is watching the trucks. because Bucky first thinks it's only a couple people, but Sam's got Red Wing, and he's got the tech to show that there's several of them there. And Sam thinks that he sees a hostage in the back of one of the trucks. And then we open up our, our chase scene. Bucky and Sam go after the trucks. And last week, we had a chase scene in the air. This week, we are on the road. And when Bucky opens the back of the first truck, what he finds are not weapons. He finds medicine and vaccines on the truck. And certainly, when you're talking about opening up a truck with vaccines in it, seems pretty relevant to today. Um, but it's re- what's really important there, though, is that they've made assumptions about the Flag Smashers with, that they would be smuggling weapons, but that's actually not what it is at all. Um, it is stuff that's Medicines and vaccines are things that are just are designed to help people, not hurt people. And Bucky finds the hostage, which is Carly Morgenthau, who is played by Aaron Kellyman, who we, of course, know as of last week and just based on the trailers, is indeed one of the flag smashers. So she kicks Bucky out of the truck and we get this fight atop the truck uh, with both of these two trucks that are there. And we see uh, Red Wing coming in. But Carly Morgenthau just grabs Red Wing out of midair and snaps poor Red Wing in half. So there goes Red Wing. Although it's a piece of tech, mm-hmm. you can just build another one. Uh, but then Falcon right. jumps in, and I just loved this fighting at the top. I mean, New Cap is going to come in here and ruin everything in a moment. Um, but I, I really liked the way this fight sequence was just initially laid out. And I, I really like so far, um, and curious to get your thoughts on this as well, Robert, like the action in this series has been really, really good. I mean, I, I think the dramatic stuff is where you're getting most of the the weight of this story, obviously, but... When it's time to get into action with these characters, they do a really good job of it, and it does feel like big MCU type of action. Not like endgame final battle stuff, but like really intense, visceral action that we've seen in the MCU before, and even stuff that we haven't seen before. No, the, the action is really fun, and I, I'm looking at this scene, I, I just think that there's more to, to John Walker than just like he's just some straight up regular dude fighting the way the way he the way he jumps out the helicopter and and the way he's throwing her shield around i think there's something more to it than that but yeah the action for this series so far has been great and yeah like like the 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 the, the more personal moments are good you know that that's what makes the mcu what it is like it can't just be all action all the time you have to you know let these characters breathe but like so far it's been really fun this sequence was so exciting in a lot of ways. And, and yeah, when John Walker does show up as the new Captain America, and of course, I mean, I was almost reminded of like, I am Groot, I am Steve Rogers in the way that he's like, you know, Sam, John Walker, Captain America, uh, just right. introducing himself in the middle of this fight. Um, and of course, we see there's Lamar Hoskins in his battle Yeah, with that corny fist bump. Oh my God, I hate that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, like these dudes are are, are straight up cheesy, um, <laughs> which, you know, okay. Um, and I, I thought that I agree with you, though. Like John Walker doesn't, I mean, he we're told he doesn't have superpowers, but there's something about that guy. I mean, he's like must be just the most like a physically gifted human on the planet then, and then the greatest athlete right. on the planet somehow um, with the way we see him fighting in this. And especially like the shield throw that he uses to save Hoskins at the end was like pretty on point. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess, you know, he's just really accurate. So fine. 
we see Sam, uh, one of my favorite action beats though was when Sam got knocked off of the truck and the way he just lets his, you know, the wings come out and he just flies back. Um, right. And then when we see him flying back toward the trucks and we kind of get that over that shot, that almost POV shot from like right behind Sam's head. I really love the way that looked as he was going back, kind of weaving back between the trucks. And then Bucky's been knocked down and he's holding on for dear life at the bottom of one of the trucks. And then Sam <laughs> saves Bucky from that. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, no, thank you for saving me. Bucky's just like, yeah, could have used that shield. Um, right. And saying those were You're all super soldiers. Yeah. And then <laughs> Bucky states the obvious, you know, those were all super soldiers. And Walker uses shield, as I said, to save Hoskins. And then uh, Morgenthau is able to punch Walker right off of the truck and onto the windshield of a car uh, that was trailing behind everything. So we get that great action sequence and just the action continues to be very impressive in this show. Really, really happy with it. And then we mm-hmm. get the actual conversation between Bucky, Falcon, and the new Captain America, and also Battlestar. And I love that uh, initially when Walker tries to offer them a ride, they don't accept. But then, yeah, they're like 20 miles from nowhere. Right. So they get in the car, and Walker is... What's interesting, though, is when Walker talks about the big three, yeah, you could say that the big three is is a thing with androids, aliens, and wizards and all of that stuff, but... Seeing as how they they reveal later on in this conversation that they tracked Bucky and Sam via Red Wing, that they were also listening. Because if you can track them, you can listen to them. And and so that's where it it does make me, you know, we we kind of see that, you know, this idea of an abuse of power from John Walker. And and maybe this was one as well, not just tracking, but also at the same time. I don't know. I, I feel like Walker was listening. What did you think? I think I think he's listening. And I think there's more to these guys than than just you know, uh, doing the right thing per se. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I think there's something more to, to the serum and the power broker with these guys. Yeah. And I think, I think they're, they're using, they're using these guys to, to get to the flag smashers. My, that's my opinion. So, so yeah, I think they're listening in and using their, their so-called, you know, government entities as far as red wing and, and the suit goes to, to track Sam. Because yeah, it's just kind of convenient they show up right then at the same time, you know, because right. I, I think I think they know more about what's going on with the Flag Smashers than Sam and Bucky do. Yeah, I think they know a lot more. And I think that they want help from Sam and Bucky, but they don't want to be completely forthcoming about all of the information that they have. Um, right. I did like the part where Bucky is like, you know, have you ever jumped on a grenade and Walker's done it four times? Um, I thought that was pretty mm-hmm. funny. It's like, oh, yeah, my helmet's kind of reinforced, but. Let's keep yeah, in mind, a long though. Story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny, but it also shows, though, that like when Walker is talking about having jumped on grenades, he says he did it with like his cap helmet and whatever, mm-hmm. because it's reinforced and somehow safe and, and grenade proof, I guess. But that's not how Steve jumped on a grenade. That was skinny Steve no. who jumped on a grenade right. with the full expectation that he would be blown to bits and die. So, um, yeah, it's it's not really the same thing uh, as far as, uh, you know, Walker's sacrifice when he's jumping on four grenades. But anyway. Um, Sam, yeah, I, I just, oh, go yeah, ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, I just, I just love the interaction between like Bucky, like he's not having any of these guys because they're, they're more mm-hmm. of the, uh, the, 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 uh, you know, yes man in the military. And like, I, in my experience, a lot of guys don't respect that. Like that, that's what Bucky's doing. Like he's hilarious when he's like Battlestar, stop the truck. Yep. <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Battlestar. Okay. But yeah. did that, you know, I like that. I like that how he is like that. He's, he's more he respects the camaraderie and, and getting the work done. He's not all about, you know, uh, uh, 
making making a spectacle of it. Mm-hmm. And that's what it seems like Walker's doing. Like he like he's he's leaning into it and telling Sam, like, you know, I, I need you guys as my wingmen. Like th- these are the guys that actually have done the work. They're the ones that fought the big three. You haven't done anything. You were in Chile far as far as we know. Right. You know, but he's he's leaning into the fact that he's Captain America and really hasn't done shit yet. Yeah. Honestly. So how how can you respect someone like that in the first place? So I see where Bucky's coming from with this. Him and Sam. Right. Obviously Walker's been in battles and he's been in firefights and he's done he's done his thing. But at the same time, yeah, like I think that's where Bucky is like, well, like just because they called you Captain America doesn't mean that's what you are to me. And and it doesn't mean that you can just immediately approach me as somebody who's just automatically supposed to help you. Mm-hmm. You calling yourself Captain America and the government calling you, you Captain America doesn't make us friends. You know, I was friends with Steve Rogers, not Captain America. And that's true for Bucky, especially. Right. Bucky knew Steve before Captain America was a thing. And even Sam, his initial interaction was with Steve Rogers, not Captain America. Yeah, Steve was already Cap at that point, but that's not where Steve and Sam bonded. That's not what they bonded over. They bonded over very basic human-level things. So just being Captain America and having the shield, it it doesn't make us friends, and it doesn't even make us peers, because as you said, like we've been doing... We have been battling the big three. That's not really what you've done. So don't talk to us like we're friends. That's not that's not what we are. Uh, you want to be right. my friend, try to be my friend. Don't assume that we've already got some sort of bond that we don't. Um, but when Sam talks about the Flag Smashers, I like that Sam is considering a, a perspective that obviously uh, Walker isn't. When Sam is suggesting, you know, maybe the Flag Smashers are just trying to help and you know, not Bucky's not necessarily into that because Bucky's like, well, they got a funny way of showing it. Uh, but we know what the Flag Smashers want. They want to get things back to the way they were during the blip. And we'll hear more directly from the Flag Smashers uh, in a little bit, a uh, little bit later on in the episode. But I also there is an important thing when we talk about like a potential abuse of power from John Walker when Sam questions them hacking mm-hmm. his tech. And he says, well, it's it's not really hacking, it's government property. And then he like motions to himself, like I'm kind of the government. Right. And that's, I think that's Walker seeing himself as, you know, being entitled to do this kind of stuff. Like I have this kind of power. I'm Captain America, right? I am the government. So I get to do what I want. And if the government's authorized to track other government property, then that's what I, that's what I get to do. And that's how, that's all I need to justify it. And that's a difference between Steve and John Walker, a very important difference. You know, we talked about certain things that they maybe have in common in their initial days as Captain America, but Walker sees being Captain America as a license to do what he wants. And Steve really saw and, and respected more of the responsibility. And Steve wasn't a fan of the government spying on people. So remember that. Remember the whole plot of Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Steve was not a fan of Project Insight even before he knew Hydra had anything to do with it. Steve was not on board with this idea of the government spying on people. And here's John Walker, who's not only all for it, he's taking advantage of it. I'm the government. I get to spy on whoever I want. That's that. So it's an important distinction character-wise between Steve Rogers and John Walker. And does it mean that John Walker is an unquestionably evil dude? No, not necessarily, but it certainly shows us that he's not quite of the same level of character as Steve Rogers. So that was, no. I think, a very important point uh, between and a very important moment that shows a, a clear distinction between Steve and John. Yeah, no, uh, we we talked about this earlier. I think that's that's another 
you know, a uh, uh, kind of a, a card that they can play as far as Sam goes is 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 you got to be un- undeniably uh, patriotic, quote unquote. You know, yeah. like just don't question anything. Just use your license as government authority to do, to do whatever and get the job done. And then we already know that 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 Steve has bucked bucked the government before, even with the accords. And just like you know, Sam Sam was a part of that. So mm-hmm. here we are, like. We we need a guy that's gonna do whatever we say unquestioned. Right. And Sam Sam's not that dude. You yeah. know, Sam Sam can think for himself and, and and use use his own moral, you know, judgment to get the get the job done. Not right. not necessarily just be a government patsy. Exactly. And but it's that twisted view of patriotism is that oh, because right. the government says so, because the flag says so, this is what we do and this is what justifies it. Whereas True patriotism does involve questioning things. It involves protesting right. things when you see that something is wrong. Uh, but yeah, the government wants somebody like John Walker who is totally going to lean into this whole idea of government oversight and control and go along with whatever's going on. And we hear about this organization called the GRC, the Global Repatriation Council, and they're supposed they're supposed to be charged with this idea of getting things back to normal post blip and everybody coming back and providing resources for people who are you know trying to get back into their lives after being gone for five years. And uh, Walker and Hoskins are saying it's basically their job to keep things stable as these resources are being provided by the GRC. And Walker makes a point that violent revolutionaries aren't usually good for anyone's cause. And that's another... That's another moment where it's a difference. And, and Sam has a great rebuttal to this, but before I talk about that... That perspective of John Walker just saying violent revolutionaries aren't usually good for anyone's cause shows him not considering the perspective of another side in the way that Steve Rogers did. That line made me think about Steve's reaction to being told about the Maximoffs when Maria Hill was talking about how Wanda and Pietro reacted and signing up for these experiments and all this stuff and and saying, you know, and, and Steve even points out, well, yeah, what kind of per- what kind of crazy person will let a scientist experiment experiment on him? And then she tries to say, "Well, we're, you know, we're not at war, Captain, like they were in World War II when Steve signed up." But then Steve says they are. That's Steve not necessarily saying, "Oh, what they do is okay," but at least considering another perspective. And that's something that Sam does when when Sam says, "You know, Walker's point about violent revolutionaries aren't usually good for anyone's cause." That's a point that's usually said by the people with the resources. Is Sam's rebuttal which I thought was uh, was really perfect. And so I, I love them going going at it with these different philosophical ideas that also you know provide the difference between Sam and John Walker, but also the difference some of the differences between Steve Rogers and John Walker. And then yeah, right. Hoskins comes in and says that his name is Battlestar. <laughs> <laughs> and Bucky's just that's it. I love that that's the line for Bucky. Yeah, just, Battlestar, that's stop it. the truck. Stop the car. Just stop. <laughs> we're we're done here. Um was really great. But Battlestar is actually a thing in the comic books. Mm-hmm. Lamar Hoskins yeah. is a character in the comics who is Battlestar and even had the alias of Bucky at one point. And so it is that sidekick trope, but it's also a bit of the the black sidekick trope, which I feel like is maybe Marvel kind of calling out themselves a little bit, maybe, um, or maybe it's just Malcolm Spellman and his team. It feels like a meta commentary in a way, or at least it did to me. Be interested to hear how you think about it, Robert. But it felt like we know that 
this is what the government is trying to do, like in order to say like, oh, if they're trying to fend off any idea that the choice of John Walker was at all racially motivated, they could say, well, it's not because here's Battlestar and Battlestar is a black man. And that's why we've gone ahead. And, and, and so we're we are diverse. We are inclusive. See, we you know, Lamar Hoskins is right here, everybody. And that feels like almost a way that comic books have done this and, and movie franchises have done this where they go through they they achieve diversity or you know put forth the idea that they're uh, that they're accomplishing diversity and inclusion within their franchises by having the sidekick or the supporting character who are ultimately there in the service of another person usually a white male character's character arc that they're there mm-hmm. in service of other characters and not necessarily there for themselves and which is a really interesting moment for this story where we're not. We're finally not talking about Sam in relation to Steve Rogers. We're really focusing on Sam Wilson. I mean, Bucky is here too, but we are focusing on Sam Wilson independently, as we saw in the very first episode where Bucky and Sam weren't even together at all. So it's done in this way that that treats it as as goofy and a thing that can just be called out for being cheesy, especially with the name uh, that Bucky is not a fan of. But I, I also feel like there's something very real being expressed in in this idea and and the fact that. Lamar Hoskins was chosen for this role uh, to fight alongside the new Captain America. Well, I, I, you got to think about this too, Sean, is that a large sector of the military is, is, is people of color and you don't want to alienate people, but you still want to, uh, st- I, I guess what, what it is, is you, you still want to show like a, a white face in charge of everything, but you still don't want to alienate the people that, that are behind the lines doing the work. You know, so you have you have some kind of like, look, yeah, we're all we're all inclusive because let's be honest, military, they 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 recruit heavily in in areas where people are impoverished and in col- people of color. You know, so that that's where we go. Like we, we want you to use our, our resources to go to college and stuff like that, because people people in those areas don't have those resources. So here we are. You know, we, we want to keep we want to keep that 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 black card or, or that the, the per, per person of color card going, you know, show like we're, we're all inclusive, that kind of thing. That, that's what it looks like to me, you know? Right. I totally agree with that. And I, I think it's, it's a, a certain type of inclusion that isn't necessarily always sincere. I, I think is no. maybe the, the issue is, as you kind of mentioned, it's like, it's punching a card, not necessarily meaning it um, in, in all the ways that, that you would hope someone would. We, we get some interesting comments here from John Walker where he tries to act like he gets it. Like, I get the attitude. You didn't think the shield was going to end up here. And he says, like, I get it, Bucky, as Bucky is storming off. And then Walker turns his attention to Sam and he says, and he's trying to appeal to Sam and Bucky. And he's trying to alleviate the concerns that that he's assumed that Steve and Bucky have, saying, like, you know, I'm not trying to be Steve. I'm not trying to replace Steve. I'm just trying to be the best Captain America I can be, that's it. And then he says, it'd be a whole lot easier if I had Cap's wingmen on my side. And then Sam just scoffs at that and says, it's always that last line. And then that's it. Sam walks off as well. (laughs) There's something very poignant about that, where Sam is saying, it's always that last line, because you feel like that's where somebody who's full of it kind of reveals it, right? Like, Walker is acting like he's trying to bond with these two guys, and trying to relate to them and, and trying to address their concerns in some sort of sincere way, but ultimately reveals himself to be insincere because he's saying it'd be a whole lot easier if I had Cap's wingmen on my side. 
well, what does that line really mean? Like, this is John Walker just trying to make things easier for himself. And also, he's minimizing Bucky and Sam, just calling them Cap's wingmen. Mm-hmm. And look, they were that, right? I mean, they were in the MCU. That has been their role. But even though that's been their role for us, the audience, like within the story is because we haven't seen Bucky and Sam getting their own series or movie before this. So there is it's not totally unfair, but within the story with these characters, like that's never how Steve saw them. And I think that's where Sam is, you know, rightfully bothered by it is like, look, what you don't understand is that Steve never treated us like wingmen. You know, Steve didn't treat us like the sidekicks. We were no. e- we were equals. That's why that's why Sam liked Steve. And and that's why, you know, because Steve was just a dude out for a jog and really just being like a competitive trash talker with the whole on your left <laughs> thing, even after Sam told him to stop. But that was the thing is like they were just human beings who became friends. And it was just Steve seeing them for who they were. And that obviously it goes not just for Sam, but it goes for Bucky as well, that. Bucky was always just Steve's best friend. And then even when Bucky had become the Winter Soldier and was brainwashed and was killing people, Steve still saw his best friend. And so like that's who Steve that's the kind of person who Steve Rogers was that John Walker isn't. So it's fine that John Walker is not trying to replace Steve Rogers because he never could, because he still he doesn't get it in the way that Steve got it. And that's where Sam, you know, saying it's always that last line. Like, yeah, that's where. You try to act like you're some genuine guy who's trying to connect with us, but ultimately you don't care. All you see is how we can help you, how we can make things easier for you. So screw you. I'm out. Yeah. I mean, you got to think about this too. Like appointment doesn't make you a leader. Yeah. You got to earn, you got to earn that title. And Steve, Steve has earned it throughout the, throughout the whole, you know, MCU. He's earned it with talking with Sam when they, you know, go for the jog. He appeals to him as a veteran, not, not as like, Hey, I'm Captain America. And of course, you know, him and Bucky go back since we were kids. Mm-hmm. So this guy, this guy is, is there by appointment. He hasn't earned anything. Right. So, so for him, for him to be as arrogant to say, I need caps wingmen by my side, you haven't done anything to earn that. Right. And, and like you said, Steve treated them as equals and he's earned their respect throughout this whole, this, this whole saga. So, yeah. yeah, it's just it's just flat out arrogance and, and 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 like I said, entitlement to think that you can you can come to these guys and 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 get them to get behind you when you haven't done anything to earn their respect yet. That's a really great point. You don't get to call yourself a leader. I mean, you can, but that's not what makes you a leader. You know, you get no. you become a leader because people actually think you're worth following, and right. that's obviously not John Walker. You know, he hasn't earned their respect, so. You know, for him to think he just gets to skip these steps, right? Like, I'm Captain America now. You were Captain America's wingmen, so therefore you follow me now. Mm-hmm. And they're like, nope, uh, that's that's not the way it works. Because <laughs> nope. again, you can have the shield. They can call you Captain America. You can call yourself Captain America, but that doesn't make you a leader, and it certainly doesn't make you somebody whose lead we're going to follow the way that we followed uh, Steve's lead for such a long time. So right. the next thing we cut to is a safe house for the Flag Smashers. And it's really interesting to look at where what this safe house actually is. They don't know this person. This is somebody mm-hmm. that they've connected with, presumably online. So they show up at this place. This guy and his wife have made food for them. They've arranged for you know cots for everybody to sleep on. And we see that this is kind of how it works for the Flag Smashers, that they're, kind of, they're relying on the kindness of strangers, but 
there are a lot of strangers who are willing to help them. There's people who are calling the Flag Smashers Robin Hood. And, mm-hmm. of course, this is the whole robbing from the rich, giving to the poor sort of thing, as Robin Hood did. And so they're getting, and this person is saying, who's how, who's offering them food and shelter here, that they'll find refuge wherever they go. And, and that tells us, as an audience, there's a lot of people supporting these guys. There's a lot of people right. supporting the Flag Smashers. And so we can't just take what they're doing and say, well, they've got super soldier serum and they're fighting our heroes, so that makes them bad, that this is a much more complicated thing than that. And it shows that Sam's instincts about this are, are right in that they are trying to help. And, and maybe they're not going about it in the best possible way. Maybe they're not going about it in a way. Maybe they are going about it in a way that's ultimately going to hurt other people. And so maybe we have to question it. But... This is something that it reminds me of, and, and Malcolm Spellman, the head writer, spoke about it in some interviews recently, how Eric Killmonger from Black Panther was really kind of a, a benchmark for them as they were looking at the idea of antagonists in this series to not just treat it as this black and white thing of these people are automatically bad, where Eric Killmonger had some very valid points. Was he also doing some bad things? You bet he was, but made some valid points and, and had a valid perspective. And I think we see that with the Flag Smashers, but I think a difference between the Flag Smashers and even Killmonger is we didn't really see, you know, a lot of Killmonger's, his supporters anyway, were kind of within Wakanda, the border tribe in, in Wakabi, but what we see that's a little bit different, and it's just a change, you know, because it's a broader perspective with the Flag Smashers as they're traveling around Europe, we see that they have supporters all around the world or certainly all throughout Europe. And that that support is growing because they even say, like, who could have imagined that this is the level of support we would we would have received like six months ago, presumably when they started doing a lot of this. So seeing that there are people who are putting themselves at risk, providing shelter, you know, food and accommodations, and everything else to the Flag Smashers shows that they are not the only ones who see value in what they're doing. They're not people who just have some philosophy that they've decided is what's right for the world. They have some of that, but there's a lot of people in the world who clearly are in agreement with the Flag Smashers, and that's really interesting. Yeah, I think it's more like maybe how how things were during the snap when everybody was considered like one one world. Mm-hmm. And now that you got the powers of be back in this whole GRC thing where they're, they're trying to distribute power the way they see fit and not, not letting the people you know, control their own destiny pretty much. Like they're giving it back to who, who they deem fit. And, and I guess, I guess the uh, flag smashers don't, don't want to see it that way. They want to just be one world and not be broken up into superpowers again. And, you know, this this yeah. whole power broker thing and, and the, the, the serum or whatnot. Yeah. I mean, that's their, their mantras, one world, one people. And which is kind of like what Torres was explaining last week, that they're, they're, they're all about a world without borders. And so, as they're uh, as they're working on you know scrubbing their identities and aliases from the internet, we see Morgenthau get a text from an unknown number that says, "You took what was mine. I'm going to find you and kill you." And another person is saying, "Like they're already looking for us, and we don't know who they are." But I mean, because there's multiple they's, right? Or so we would right. think. You have various governments um, and government bodies like the GRC that maybe would be looking for them, but also. They took something from somebody, and we hear about the power brokers' men later on uh, in a scene where they're getting away, and the flag smashers are getting away in a plane. So they've taken something. Well, what did they take? They probably took the super soldier serum that has given them all of these powers. 
And so we, we know that they're on the run from the power broker. And I'll talk more about the power broker a little bit later on in the show. We also hear them discuss their cause. And Morgenthau says, you know, they can't let the same a-holes who, although she actually says it, uh, who were put back in power <laughs> after the blip, can't let them win. And she says the GRC care more about the people who came back than the ones who never left. And she says, we got a glimpse of how things could be. And we talked a little bit about this with episode one, but it's easy enough to see how the world through the like this grief that every and loss and devastation that everybody experienced all at once with the snap how that could have resulted in a world dropping a lot of the stuff that a lot of the sources of division right you know that where it's things that we use to separate one another and and all of those different things a lot of that goes away because it's just the world is devastated and everybody's got to pitch in to help and just get through this and that maybe there was something about that unified experience that obviously the flag smashers found valuable and it's not hard to see that the value in it when we think of all the the things that we do the illusions of division that t'challa talked about in his one tribe speech in the mid credit scene of black panther if a lot of those illusions kind of went away for a while and the world actually came together and worked together yeah there's something beautiful about that and of course we want to you see the value in that, you see the appeal of that and why we would actually want that in many ways. Mm -hmm. But where I have a little bit of a question about the Flag Smashers and their intentions is they're saying, is as they say, one world and one people, there is a dividing line that Morgenthau talks about when she says the GRC care more about the people who came back than the ones who never left. Well, when you say the ones who never left, well, the people who went away, they didn't leave. Like they got taken away. <laughs> they didn't leave. Um, so I'm curious as to how the Flag Smashers really feel about the vanished because they still have a right to be here. I, I, I certainly understand that if there were people who were in power who never should have been, you don't want to see them being put back in power to do the wrong things, which I think is mainly the point for the Flag Smashers. But there also seems to be a little bit of a bias against people who came back in general um, and obviously there shouldn't be because, you know, those the people who were taken away, you know, didn't choose to leave. They didn't choose to go away. They were just snapped out of existence for five years. There is a balance there. And I, and I think there's it'll be it'll be interesting to see where the Flag Smashers go from here. And, and as we learn more about their perspective. But that's one area where we're looking at um, a certain level of antagonism that comes into it from them is maybe even as they stand for this idea of one world, one people. Um, they even they see an other out there and the other is is people that from in their minds, you know, left. I, I don't know if it's that per se, but I think maybe it's, it's the government entities trying to put things back to the way it was. Right. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if their beef is with the, the, the vanished. I think their beef is with the government. Yep. So we, we haven't seen that yet. They're like, yeah, yeah, that that line. But she I think she's saying she's more they're more concerned about the people. The government is more concerned about the people that left. She's not. I don't think she's her beef is with the people that came back. Well, right. we don't know that yet because yeah. all we've seen them do so far is take money from a Swiss bank and, and, and take, take, uh, uh, you know, quote unquote vaccinations, what could be serum too. You know, you, you put, you put serum in, in, in a, in a, a container for vaccinations and stuff like that. So we don't know yet. Right. No, I, I totally agree with that. And, and like I said, I can totally see where it's, she's just talking about, the wrong people being put back into power. And if that's it, exactly. then we can understand the validity of validity of that. 
But yeah, that that line did have me wonder if maybe there's something else, but maybe there isn't. And you know, for the sake of the flag smashers, I kind of hope that there isn't. But it's a really fascinating group, and and where they're kind of coming into it right now. Yeah, they're they're just being labeled as terrorists, as, as, right. as for from the powers that be. That that's totally. that's how I see it. No, I that part I am I'm in complete agreement with you on. Um, so we go back to the plane, uh, Bucky and Sam on their way back to the states. Sam points out, uh, and Bucky's just saying we should just take the shield. And then Sam points out, hey, remember <laughs> yeah. what happened last time? Uh, we took the shield during Captain America Civil War. Uh, Sharon was branded an enemy of the state. And then Steve and Sam spent two years on the run. Sam is done with La Vida Loca, as he points out. Uh, he, he just doesn't want to go back to that. Um, and then uh, says they got, uh, they got nothing after being super soldiers. Bucky says that's not entirely true. Uh, there is someone that you should meet. Uh, but before we talk about who they meet in Baltimore, Maryland, I would just say that that's the first time we've really heard about Sharon Carter in the series, and we know that she's going to be back. So that part um, where Sam is talking about how Sharon was branded an enemy of the state, I think that's an important line for mm-hmm. Sharon Carter and, and where she's going to be at uh, mentally, emotionally, philosophically when we catch up with her eventually in this series is that if she's branded an enemy of the state, like how does she respond to that? Because we still haven't met Sharon Carter in this series yet. And the longer we go without meeting her and then just hearing this line, I can't help but feel like Sharon Carter is going to be different because why else bring her back? Why why else would you want to bring Sharon Carter back in the MCU if she's just going to be a lower level sidekick again and just kind of help out the heroes in in a way that's you know important but not on the same scale within the plot as other characters and and to just kind of be like the helper that she was in Winter Soldier and then again in Captain America Civil War I feel like you bring her back to do something different to do something bigger and maybe represent something bigger and even Sam referring to Sharon being branded as an enemy of the state if we look at what the Flag Smashers stand for and a country without borders, well, there can't really be an enemy of the state if there is no state, right? And right. Sharon Carter, after years of service through S.H.I.E.L.D. and then the CIA, if you know she takes a stand against the Accords and, and helps out Bucky and Steve and Sam when they're just trying to go stop what they thought at the time were a bunch of super soldiers... If that's all she's trying to do and that results in her being branded an enemy of the state, like I could see her seeing that that's that could convince her that the whole thing is is a problem and that the whole system is so deeply flawed that maybe it does need to be broken down and and, and rebuilt from scratch, which is maybe a little bit what, of what the Flag Smashers are trying to do. And maybe she feel she might also be somebody who felt like the world um, was better off during the blip. So I say all of that to say that you know, not to put a prediction on it, but I wouldn't be surprised if Sharon Carter isn't just trying to get back in the good graces of the United States government, that she may be more aligned with the Flag Smashers than anyone else. Uh, I, I'm totally on board with that because even Steve has a line in, you know, a civil war, but, you know, governments have agendas and maybe she's just trying to get away from all that. You know, like maybe she is siding with the Flag Smashers. And she could, by the way, be somewhat philosophically aligned with the Flag Smashers and not necessarily be part of the group. Like, there are right. multiple things that can be true at the same time, even if they seem like somewhat of a, of a contradiction. She could be like Sam, potentially, 
I see the value in what these people are doing, but I'm not necessarily part of their group, or she might be part of the group. We will uh, we'll eventually see. Um, but we right. next cut to Baltimore, Maryland, and there are a couple kids in the, uh, playing in the street, and uh, one of the kids calls Sam Black Falcon, kind of like Black Panther, and Sam says it's just Falcon, and I love how the kid's like, well, technically, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you know, kid definitely thinks he's right. And so Sam says, so are you like black kid? And then Sam just kind of laughs it off and, you know, talks to the kid's friend. I got him, didn't I? That moment, uh, Robert, is it's funny. And it's great to see Sam kind of relating to these kids. Um, but I also yeah. think it becomes a little more meaningful when we get to kind of the bookend of uh, of this sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it just, just you just want to be seen as a person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's 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 a problem with with you know, especially with veterans of color, you know, like, like I'll say, I'll say from personal experience, people are always taken aback or shocked that they find out that I I served in the military. Like, you know, there's already preconceived notions and judgment before you even talk to somebody. So that, that's something that people have to deal with. It's not, not just seeing me for who I am, but you see me, you know, you already judge me before you even know me. So that that's something that Sam deals with, and I I think he's like messing with his kid about a little bit, right? Yeah, and, and I think that's the you know Sam's not going to stop and have a very deep conversation right. with this kid. He's <laughs> he's going to play into the joke, but he's also meaning something there. Like you know, obviously, yes, you you are black, and it's not about it's not about being blind to the notion of of race, and it's not about denying race as a part of identity, but it's also about that idea of like you know, you're still a person and you still deserve to be seen as a person and responded to and treated as a person first. And and that's, you know, somebody's skin tone might be the first thing someone sees. It should not be the first thing upon which someone is judged. Um, and we see mm-hmm. that that unfortunately happens with Sam later on in the sequence. But before we get to that, uh, they are here to see Isaiah and they knock on the door. It's Eli, as, as confirmed in the credits, played by Elijah Richardson, answers the door, is not going to let them in. And then Bucky says, tell him the guy from the bar in Goyang is here. Um, and mm. he says uh, he'll know what that means. So that is actually able to get them in the door, is uh, that story about Goyang. And so we meet for the very first time Isaiah Bradley and Isaiah Bradley, if you are not familiar with this character in the comic books, he actually is either the original or an original Captain America, depending on how the time kind of the timeline uh, works out in Marvel Comics. That when Steve was Captain America in World War II, there was also another guy, Isaiah Bradley, who was being Captain America at the same time, although he wasn't recognized for what he was doing as Captain America. Everything he did was essentially off the books. It wasn't publicized in the way that uh, Steve's adventures were. And he was part of a he was part of a program, Isaiah Bradley was, that was kind of the Marvel Comics take on the Tuskegee experiments that they were trying to experiment right. with the super soldier serum. The vast majority, and they were all black men who were chosen for this experiment, the vast majority of whom died. A handful of them survived, but most of them had uh, horrific side effects that only got worse as time went on. And so it got to the point where all of them died and Isaiah Bradley was the only one left. And even then, though, even though he was the only one left and he had a uniform that was a Captain America uniform, had a Captain America shield 
and went behind enemy lines and did these heroic missions. His reward for that was to be thrown in jail for the crime, which wasn't really a crime, of stealing Captain America's uniform. So we don't get all of that backstory in this MCU version of it. Uh, we don't even hear about Isaiah Bradley, this version being uh, part of World War II. Maybe he was, and we just haven't heard about that. Um, but so far, it's the Korean War uh, that we hear about. That's where Bucky met and fought and got his ass whooped uh, by Isaiah Bradley, who we see is played by Carl Lumbly. And Bucky introduces uh, Isaiah to Sam, and he introduces Isaiah as a hero. And he says, one of the heroes that Hydra feared most, like Steve. So there's a Captain America comparison um, between uh, that Bucky is acknowledging as he's introducing Isaiah to Sam. Uh, they met in 1951. Bradley, as he says, uh, you know, whooped Winter Soldier's ass um, <laughs> and uh, even took half of his metal arm. So I guess Tony Stark was not the first person to take out a Winter Soldier metal arm. That was actually Isaiah Bradley. And uh, there were soldiers that they had heard that Winter Soldier was on the peninsula. Various people had been sent to take him out, but none of them ever returned. So Isaiah was dropped behind enemy lines to find him. And then they had their battle and, and Isaiah won. And, you know, so there's this huge revelation that and we we see a physical demonstration of Isaiah's abilities as he takes this metal, metal tin and throws it into a wall and it sticks in there. Um, we see that, yes, Isaiah Bradley, it's not clear whether or not he was wearing a Captain America type uniform. We don't know that yet. Hopefully we'll get a flashback that shows us that. But what we know for sure is that he was a super soldier who was being used by the United States military uh, to go in, to go on missions and go on impossible missions like defeating the Winter Soldier when when no one else had. Um, and so we see that. But what we don't see, what's very different about Isaiah Bradley and Steve Rogers is that, you know, Steve Rogers was heralded as a hero Whereas this Isaiah Bradley, like the comic book one, when all those adventures were done, uh, even the MCU version of Isaiah Bradley got thrown in jail. Yeah, I mean, this this could be the original guy because, you know, Steve was in the ice for 70 years. This could be the guy that they they inoculated the serum from in the first place, mm -hmm. which is why they use the excuse of putting him in jail for 30 years. Because he did he did mention, you know, they, they come in there and they took his blood and, they you know, they, they were in his cell or whatnot. So maybe they just found some lame ass excuse to you know which which would have been okay at the time because he is you know who he is and, and nobody nobody would bat an eye but this guy being locked up and you know like you said he he's covert pretty much he's he's a hero but nobody knows anything about it so there, there'd be no, no pushback from that so this right. like i said this this could be the guy all, all the serum is made after in the first place right yeah i mean it's and we don't know for sure. It's, it's unclear where things started for Isaiah Bradley. And yes, that totally could be it. We could find out that he got a, a super soldier injection before Steve Rogers, or maybe it was after. And, and I, I think the sequence of that, to me, it's it's important. But I also think the the key point that's also not to be another key point that's not to be missed here is just that that they covered it up. You know that this right. guy was. And this is the biggest difference. Like Steve went on ice, right? Steve did not get thrown in jail, but Steve's stories were publicized. Right. You know, they were making newsreels starring Captain America and, you know, newspaper headlines and, and photos and all of this stuff. The legend of Captain America, so much so that that legend survived for 70 years while Steve was on ice. 
Meanwhile, you have Isaiah Bradley, who's doing a lot of the same stuff, you know, doing a lot of difficult things and, and even doing, you know, dirty work for the United States military, going on these impossible missions. And he's not he's not put up as a hero. He's not put right. up as a symbol for people to get behind. His existence is denied. And I, I think that's why he was thrown in jail. Like they don't the comic book storyline was they they basically said you stole Captain America's uniform and that's why you're going to jail. We don't mm-hmm. really know what charge they put with. But I mean, we just know it was crap, whatever it was. But they just removed him from society so that nobody would ever know about him and, and not give anybody and not give anybody else a symbol to to rally behind and to to just flat out deny that. And I, there was also an interesting point where that Isaiah Bradley hit on when when he's asking, like, if he's wondering aloud if Bucky is there to try and kill him now. And Bucky says, I'm not a killer anymore. And we know that Bucky is really desperate to, like, not be a killer anymore and, and try to move past that period of his life where he was brainwashed. And Bradley says, you think you you think you can wake up one day and decide who you want to be? It doesn't right. work yeah. like that. Well, maybe it does well, least, for folks like you. Uh-huh. And yeah. certainly that's a reference to the idea that, yeah, um, if you're a white guy, then maybe you have a lot more charge of deciding who you want to be and, and how you want the world to see you. But that's obviously something that is much harder to do, if not impossible, for people like Isaiah Bradley and Sam Wilson. Well, yeah, and 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 to the to the next scene in that, uh, like we talked about earlier, it's kind of funny how you know Sam's in Tunisia and the guy clocks him on the street automatically as as a hero, as an Avenger. And he he can't even get that same respect from the cops or the, or the loan officer at the bank, so that you know <laughs> that that's part of it. I think you know that, that yeah. that's part of Sam Sam being apprehensive about taking the shield in the first place because, like you just said, yeah, I, I think a lot of these things are being put in play, and that's what's interesting is you know Sam's not spelling it out with words of why he chose not to take the shield, but we're starting to see his reasoning through the different things that he is experiencing in, mm-hmm. uh, in this story so far. And, and presume, and of course things that he would have experienced throughout his life as a black man in America, which is a very different experience than that of a white man in America. And, uh, you know, Bucky points out that there are more super soldiers out there. Um, Isaiah says he doesn't want to talk about it anymore. He mentions how he was put in jail for 30 years and they were just running tests, uh, taking blood and he says, even your people weren't done with me, which Sam actually later on suggests that he yeah. meant that, you know, he thought that Isaiah meant white people. But in that instance, he was actually talking about Hydra because Bucky was Hydra at the time. And mm-hmm. so Hydra was still experimenting on and, and you know doing things and probably torturing and obviously part of that whole thing of imprisoning Isaiah Bradley. Um, but Bradley's not going to give them any more on that. He tells them to get out. And Anthony Mackie is, well, Carl Lumley as Isaiah Bradley is great in this scene, um, and Sebastian Stan as well. But I also really like Anthony Mackie and and his performance as he's taking all of this in, because this is, I, I think, mixed. it has to be mixed emotions for Sam. Like, there's the idea that there was a black super soldier almost feels like this uh, who was part of the military and was going on big missions and stuff like that. Like it's something that in a vacuum might've felt like a positive thing, but for Sam, it's not like there's, 
I think there's a, a deep respect that he has for Isaiah Bradley, but obviously there's a lot of sadness and a lot of anger for knowing exactly how Isaiah Bradley was treated and knowing mm-hmm. everything that it means and, and knowing that Isaiah Bradley was denied. He was denied the legacy that he should have had, but it's not just what Isaiah Bradley was denied because when they removed and, and denied and, and hid Isaiah Bradley's existence, that didn't just hurt Isaiah Bradley. That hurt everybody who would have looked up to Isaiah Bradley, everybody who could have seen themselves in Isaiah Bradley. So there are certain, there were generations of, of white kids who got to look up to Steve Rogers. And that's not to say that there weren't, uh, that someone like Sam Wilson growing up would not have also looked up to Captain America or Steve Rogers, but would have had a hero that they could have seen themselves in with Isaiah Bradley. And that hero did exist. It, it wasn't a matter of, that hero was never around. That hero was around, and he was just hidden from the world. And so there's something that Sam rightfully feels like he was robbed of. Because he's even saying, like, when they when he and Bucky walk out, like, why didn't you tell me about Isaiah? How could nobody bring him up? And Bucky does con- Bucky confirms that that Steve never even knew. Bucky didn't tell right. Steve, and and Bucky didn't reveal anything about Isaiah Bradley because he felt like Isaiah Bradley had been through enough. And obviously, we see that Isaiah Bradley doesn't want to go back over all of this stuff and, and and go over all of this territory again, which is understandable. So Bucky's protective instinct about Isaiah Bradley, it's valid. But the net result, though, is that this person has been hidden from the world and this legacy has been hidden from the world, which has denied everybody. It's denied Isaiah Bradley and everybody who would have had the opportunity to look up to him. Yeah. yeah, I think I think Bucky validates him as a hero. He's just he's just showing him the respect that he wants. You know, he doesn't want to be in the limelight. So yeah, that, that's all that is. Yeah, well, and Bucky can relate to that, right? I mean, right. Bucky knows what it's like to have a past that is complicated and, and traumatic, and and not necessarily wanting to work through all of that um, in front of the entire world. So right. I think that's where you know Bucky's able to relate to him, and that's why he. And that's that's why he holds that secret. It's certainly not to not to deny the existence of Isaiah Bradley. It's you know to respect what he believes are are and, and see, appear to be uh, very much so the wishes of Isaiah Bradley. Um, and we'll also note here that um, Eli, who or Elijah, who opened the door and played by Elijah Richardson, that is a character who is patriot in Marvel Comics, and so he is the the grandson. Of Isaiah Bradley. So as we're talking about young Avengers and things like that emerging in the MCU, this could certainly be a character that we see again, not just in this series potentially, but a character we could see again later on down the line. So we go from talk of super soldiers and, and stuff like that and, and the blip, but things get very real, though. I mean, I think the conversation with Isaiah Bradley was was pretty real, despite the MCU, you know, super soldier setting of it all. We get this uh, incident outside of the home of Isaiah Bradley. As Bucky and Sam are just walking down the street, the cops stop them and immediately start questioning Sam for absolutely no reason at all. It's just two guys walking down the street, and they don't even look at Bucky, by the way. They're focused on the black man who's standing in front of them, and they mm-hmm. want ID, and Sam isn't going to provide it for just because they asked for it, because there was no reason for them to stop him and ask for it in the first place. And Bucky tries to initially diffuse the situation by telling Sam, like, just just give them your ID, and Sam's saying no. That's a very easy thing for Bucky to say, of course, is to just go ahead and comply with this, because Bucky 
doesn't get treated like this when he walks down the street. And, and so, you know, Sam, of course, is not interested in that. And then Bucky asks the cops if uh, if they know who Sam is. And then they whisper, oh, these guys are Avengers. And now it's fine. Right now, right. the cops are like, oh, sorry, didn't know who you were. But this is the important point here is that uh, the first thing these cops saw was a black man, not a person who has, you know, not only did they not see him as an Avenger, they just didn't even see him as a person who has every bit as much right to walk down the street as Bucky and and help between the two of them. Bucky actually turns out to be the one. The white guy <laughs> turns out to be the one who had a warrant for violating the terms of his pardon because he missed a therapy appointment. So like that kid said, Black Falcon, because black isn't just the first thing that a racist sees, because even somebody who's not racist can see somebody being black. But, you know, it's it where the racism comes into it is when that becomes the first quality upon which a person is judged. And that's what right. happened there. Those cops immediately judge Sam as he must be doing something wrong because he's walking down the street having an argument with somebody and that must be wrong and he must be and Sam must be in the wrong because he's an angry black man walking down the street and that's absolutely and of course that's not what it was at all there was nothing wrong with what was happening there it was treated wrong because of obviously the racial bias of these cops right yeah but it's just like I was saying earlier about like what 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 goes on in this country and like he he gets more respect someplace else than he does in his, in his own homeland so mm-hmm. You know, it is what it is, man. Well, it is what it shouldn't be. And I I think that that's where, you know, Sam is this scene. It's very heavy, but it speaks to why Sam made the decision that he made. You know, like it's he's not saying it out loud, but we keep getting more examples. Like, do you want to represent a country where like systematically this is allowed to happen? You know, that this sort of thing is, is so tragically commonplace and and it never changes and if this is part of if this is part of the whole idea of the stars and stripes then then what would i want to represent that for anyway um so you know we just keep getting more evidence that that supports the conclusion that sam reached we get uh, a little bit of a break from this scene although things still stay a little heavy but uh we do get our the couples therapy scene that was teased in the trailers so we get the setup where sam meets dr rayner and thanks her for getting Bucky out, but it wasn't her. It was mm-hmm. John Walker, who is apparently on a first-name basis with Dr. Rayner. calls her Christina, and she says that they had done some field ops uh, back in the day, and Walker has authorized Bucky to no longer be on a strict schedule. And this also feels like Walker just throwing his power around like it's nothing like uh, you know like because even the the therapist is like who authorized that and he just like smiles and points at himself and right. you know and here's walker not even caring the, the whole point about the therapy is like bucky's in therapy for a reason it's not just a sentence for his pardon bucky needs it and walker doesn't care about that at all he just cares about that i need bucky's help so screw therapy like i don't care uh i i want him to work with me so i'm gonna go ahead and i'm gonna spring him from not only from jail right now but from this obligation as part of his pardon and i don't know that dr rayner is happy about that but it also makes me a little curious when you think about dr rayner and walker having uh, a previous professional relationship you know through the military and being on operations together 
Mm-hmm. I don't think she's working with Walker, but like if that ended up being a surprise reveal in the show, I, I guess it, it wouldn't shock me just now that they've established that there's a, a prior knowledge of one another and a first name basis between John Walker and uh, Dr. Christina Rayner. I think there's just more of that privilege and, and, yeah. and, and familiarity type thing. You know, it, it like like here they are getting, you know, dragged in by the cops and, and getting arrested. And this guy's just like walking through the precinct, taking selfies and everything. Yeah. And, 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 you know, uh, hitting the siren on the car, like he, he just has the right to do that. He has the, the privilege to just walk around and, and, and be like that in, in this scenario where, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I said, they're, they're being, you know, like he, he's basically bypassing a court order Yeah, that, that, you know, Bucky's supposed to be adhering to mm-hmm. is just more privilege. It is. And just, and he smiles about it too. Just like, yeah, that was me. Um, you know, like, I, I don't know. It, it's just such, uh, I mean, he's just kind of a jerk. Uh, he's not like, yeah, it, it's not like this obviously definitely evil sort of thing, but it is unethical and it's certainly selfish because we know that this guy's just trying to make things easier on himself to have Cap's wingmen on mm-hmm. his side. And he also seems to, there is that arrogance, right? Like, oh, I'm doing you a solid. I'm getting, I'm getting Bucky out of jail. I'm uh, getting him out of this therapy obligation that right. uh, impacts his schedule. So yeah, you're you're still going to have to work with me, guys. Uh, of course, they won't. We'll see that later on. But yeah, the arrogance of John Walker uh, certainly feeds into the idea that yeah, we don't like this guy very much. Yeah, that, well, that's that's what I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you, if you started if you didn't start losing empathy for him in right. Munich, you certainly did here in this this part. Absolutely, and <laughs> you just see a guy who loves to wield his power and, and he throws it around very freely and uh, is doing things that yeah he just shouldn't do and this this is a guy who just clearly isn't bothered by the idea of of where the lines are and and what lines you do or don't cross and and those are things that that Steve wondered about all the time John yeah. Walker just doesn't care um whatever he wants <laughs> he's just going to go get it uh and we see that that is of course demonstrated in in this sequence and then we actually get the couple's therapy. Like now um, yeah. it's an emergency session that Dr. Rayner needs to have with Bucky, but she brings Sam into it. And um, it was a little tough initially for me to get into some of the humor of this scene. Like it is funny, but some mm. like when, of course, when like, I think the key for me getting into it was like Sam calling Bucky freaky Magoo. Uh, that oh, got yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> got it. Yeah. Um, but it took a moment, and I, and I think it was just because like the the scene before this was so heavy that um, you know getting into the lighter side of it. But this it was still I think balanced well enough, especially because this scene goes back and forth between the humor and then the heavier emotional side for both Bucky and uh, and Sam. And I, I like when they started getting into like these couples therapy exercises, like the miracle question. You know, Sam's. Uh, you know, the, the, a miracle for Bucky would be like Sam talking less and then Sam feels the exact same way, just in reverse. Um, mm-hmm. And then we get into soul gazing and the part where they like just decide to interlock their knees and Sam just pulls them yeah. closer together. <laughs> I thought was really, really great. Uh, but then when Bucky wants to know why Sam gave up the shield, Sam tries to say it just it doesn't have anything to do with him. It doesn't have meaning it doesn't have anything to do with Bucky. No, he he was saying it's something you and Steve could never understand, right. you know. And, and and we're not we're not we're not trying to sugarcoat it here, but they don't they don't understand. It's that right. they, they don't see it from his perspective. No, but he, he's basically 
I, I think he's still being respectful of guys and not spelling it out for you, but telling right. them, look, you got you, you and Steve could never understand what goes on, you know, for me. Right. So, yeah. And, and that's, Bucky, that's yeah. And Bucky needs to hear that. But uh, what's also interesting is, is the way that Bucky, Bucky actually admits that him being so upset is ultimately all about himself. It's all about Bucky. And this is mm-hmm. why he's been so, this is why he's been unable to really see Sam's perspective on this. I mean, there's are certain things that Sam is right. Even if they try to understand, they can't fully understand what Sam has been through and, and how what has informed his decision. They could never really understand that completely. But there's a certain level of empathy that Bucky just couldn't even really couldn't even get into that at all because of the reason why he was ultimately upset by this decision. And Bucky admits it when he talks, when they go through this soul gazing exercise, once they get past the staring contest, of course. And Bucky says, Steve believed in you. He trusted you. He gave you that shield for a reason. That shield, that is everything he stood for. That is his legacy. He gave you that shield and you threw it away like it like it was nothing, to which Sam tells, tells Bucky to shut up, but Bucky keeps going. So maybe he was wrong about you. And if he was wrong about you, then he was wrong about me. And there it is. Bucky can't allow for the possibility of Steve being wrong about anyone because Steve was the only person who still really genuinely and completely believed in Bucky. So Steve's opinion of Bucky, it, it runs counter to just about everyone else. And so it only works if Steve is always right. Steve has to be for Bucky. Steve has to be a perfect judge of character because Steve's opinion of Bucky is the only lifeline that Bucky can can hold on to in this sea of guilt that is Bucky's mind, because that's all he has are memories of all the terrible things he's done, and he's trying to hope that he can be more than that. He's hoping that he can be the person and that, that he is the person and can be the person that Steve Rogers always saw. Through all of it, Steve still saw Bucky Barnes, even through the Winter Soldier Steve saw his friend, James Buchanan Barnes, who was initially a good guy who stood up for people. And and so like, that's where it's at for Bucky. And yes, it is selfish. It is, it is Bucky only seeing himself, but it's at the, like, but I I think once Sam says the next thing to him about, you know, Steve and Bucky could never fully understand. I think that helps snap Bucky out of it. But this is an important revelation for Bucky because when he had the therapy session last week, he didn't really admit anything about himself. The only thing he said was uh, that was real was that he has a hard time talking about it. But saying you have a hard time talking about it isn't the same as actually talking about it. Here he finally yeah. talks about it that like this is what I'm clinging to. This is all I've got. All I've got for any sense of self-worth and that I'm okay or that I might have a chance to be okay is that Steve liked me um and Steve thought I was a, Steve thought I was still a good person. And so if Steve is if there's any fault in Steve as a judge of character, then it all falls apart for me. And so he needs to know that what Steve saw in Sam was real and was correct. Um, and look, Steve wasn't wrong about Sam just because and that's where Bucky that's what Bucky is missing. And I think he's going to get, you know, a little bit toward the end of this conversation and then more so later on. Steve was never wrong about Sam. It has nothing to do with that. It had nothing to do with Steve. It had nothing to do with Bucky. It had to do with things that they just don't, that they couldn't possibly know and couldn't possibly understand. 
So Bucky will be okay because, you know, Steve still is a perfect judge of character. Yeah. He just wasn't, Steve just wasn't in a great position to judge exactly all that he was going to bring up for Sam uh, by putting, by handing him that shield. And, you know, even Steve didn't know how, and even Steve probably just couldn't have known how complicated that decision would be. Obviously, Steve meant nothing but the best for Sam by handing that shield and feeling like it was an honor that Sam had earned, but there were certain things about it that obviously Steve could have never uh, factored into uh, that obviously weighed very heavily on Sam's decision. Yeah. So do you, do you think like Bucky was also questioning him? So he, like Steve is the only, the, the in, in fact, the only person that believed in him. Yeah. Like Bucky doesn't even believe in himself. Right. So to speak. So, so, you know, him, him questioning Sam is basically questioning himself. Cause mm-hmm. if, like you said, if Steve's wrong about Sam, he's wrong yep. about, Bucky, but you know, because he 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 knows what he's done. Right. He he's lived through everything that he's done. Because like he tells Tony, he he remembers everything. Yep. So he's questioned his own self worth, not not just not just Sam's or or you know, for his own selfish reasons or whatnot. But like like you said, if Steve's wrong, then he could be questioning himself too. Yeah. If Steve's wrong, then it all falls apart. Um. And right. and Bucky's whole world falls apart. And so he just. Anything that even hints at the idea of Steve being wrong is something Bucky just can't take. And uh, of course, you know, for Bucky's sake, thankfully, um, Steve wasn't wrong about Sam and and Bucky's going to find out. But also it tells us that there's something that Bucky needs to graduate from. Right. Bucky cannot have his entire self-worth pinned upon the, you know, pinned on the opinion of his friend. Like ultimately, Bucky has to see his own worth uh, in order to not be tied to, you know, Steve's reputation as a judge of character. Right. Sam saying, you know, maybe this is something you or Steve will, you know, never understand. And, and there's really no maybe uh, this is something that that Bucky and Steve would would never understand. But can you accept that I did what I thought was right? And that's where I, I do think that last line in that question, I think that reached Bucky because he just kind of put his head down to that. And I think he knows what Sam is getting at. And I think Bucky at that moment is maybe maybe a little bit embarrassed and it, and maybe he's also just feeling particularly vulnerable because of what he just admitted. But I also think that's Bucky realizing that, okay, yeah, like there's, there's obviously more to this and this isn't just about the shield and this isn't just about Steve. Um, this is about a lot more than that. And that's what, you know, Sam may not be telling me everything, but that line mm-hmm. is, is enough for Bucky to say, to kind of back off on that idea and, and really maybe be open to hearing more as these characters go on. But, I think what's also going to be key here, though, is even though Sam is not saying all these things, like I think eventually, Robert, he's going to like right now they're letting mm-hmm. Sam's experiences kind of speak to his decision. And so we're seeing all of the things that that factor in that play into Sam's experience. And he's not just thinking of himself. He's thinking about the fact that he's far from the only one to have this experience as a, as a black man in America, as a person of color in America. And these are the things that he's eventually going to articulate it. I think it's already very powerful. And then we could see it reach another level if and when Sam puts words to it. Yeah, I think so. I, yeah, I'm I'm kind of, you know, on the fence about I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say. But, you know, it's, it's pretty much set, you know, what he's thinking. Just just like you said, by, by, by the actions of what goes on throughout the show so far. Yeah, it's going to be, I mean, certainly it's something like that. It's where the writing and the performance are, are going to be critical in order to really have that scene play the way that it should. But 
so far with what they've done. I, I certainly have a lot of trust in this team. Um, and then when we talk about uh, where things are going to go from here, they're going to go in a way where Sam is saying he's just he's ready to set aside. He's ready to squash it. So all these arguments, all the disputes between he and Bucky, he's ready to set them all aside, complete this mission. And then he and Bucky can just never see each other again. And Bucky agrees to that. And then Sam closes it by saying, you know, thanks, Doc, for making it weird. I feel much better. Uh, and then <laughs> Bucky's last bit is uh, asking for a reminder on rule number two, which is don't hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so we go outside the police station and Walker is uh, and Hoskins are waiting on them. And to get their attention, Walker uses the police lights and siren to get their attention, which is a pretty yeah. crappy thing for Walker to do, given what mm-hmm. Sam just experienced, because lights and sirens don't mean the same thing to uh, Walker that they mean to Sam Wilson. So this is where Walker, I mean, he's just an a-hole. What, what can you say? I mean, there's, <laughs> yeah. he, he may not be a, yeah. uh, he may not be 100% evil, but he is a jerk. Um, because, yeah, this is the complete douche turn right here. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, you you know, let's work together. But yeah, this is how I will get your attention. I, I won't say your name. I'm going to trip the lights and the siren. Um, so Walker's saying, of course, he still thinks it's better if they all work together. And mm-hmm. here's another thing that Walker's doing. They've been targeting the civilians that have helped Carly Morgenthau and the rest of the Flag Smashers. So rather than trying to understand why somebody would help the Flag Smashers, he's just going after them. And this is who he's targeting. He can't catch the flag smashers, but he can catch the civilians who help them. So that's who he's been going after. And then Sam suggests that ultimately John Walker as Captain America and, you know, Hoskins as Battlestar, that ultimately they are part of the United States government. And so there are rules that they have to operate by, although John Walker doesn't seem to care about rules. He thinks being part of the government means government means he gets to do what he wants. But Sam right. notes that it's better that they work that he and Bucky just continue to work as free agents because there's there's no lines for them and they can just go wherever they want. But then Walker threatens them at the end, saying that you know they need to stay the hell out of his way. It's been established and building throughout the episode, and and I don't think this puts John Walker in like central antagonist arch villain mode, um, but it certainly shows that this guy is unethical right. that he's willing to stretch the limits of his power who's willing to bend the rules if not outright break them um and we see that sam and bucky are just not going to work with them and and i don't really think sam when he says you know we're it's better if we're free agents sure maybe there's value in that but the real point is sam doesn't want sam and bucky don't want to work with john walker and they have plenty of reason why they shouldn't want to right so they're basically just another line drawn it's not just the flag smashers anymore it's, it's the government again and they're, they're turning to an old nemesis for help now, you know? So Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So uh, before we get to that conversation, uh, we see a getaway for the Flag Smashers. So uh, one of them says the Power Broker's men are, are after them. And there's a member of the Flag Smashers who stays behind. It's a character named Matias, who's played by Ness Bautista. And he sacrifices himself for the cause because while super soldiers are very, very strong and agile, they are not bulletproof. So uh, Matthias uh, sacrificed himself so the rest of them can get away. And I think the that we see someone sacrifice themselves for their cause is important. You know, I, I think it points to not, I mean, there are bad guys who make sacrifices and stuff like that, but I mean, see Thanos in Avengers Infinity War. But I don't know, I think it, 
it shows to me that there's an, a valid emotional place that the Flag Smashers are coming from, that this is a cause that this character is is willing to die for just in order to allow the rest of them to get away and continue on with the mission. And, and let's remember what this mission entails. This is about delivering medicine and vaccines. I mean, maybe it's more super soldier serum, but I actually think it's medicine and vaccines. I actually think it's stuff that that people need and right. that the Flag Smashers are, are trying to provide aid. So um, that sequence, I thought, was um, was really well done. But then it also begs the question of who is the power broker? And, and in the comics, this is a character. Well, there's been a couple of different ones. The original one was a character named Curtis Jackson, who was he's basically a business business guy who sells or brokers superpowers. And there are a lot of ways to give someone superpowers in Marvel Comics. We have a fairly limited subset of you know, baseline for how characters get superpowers in the MCU, but there's unlimited ways to get superpowers in Marvel comics. And so Curtis Jackson, the power broker provides those types of things and even has his own company, uh, power broker incorporated, which has a character named Dr. Carl Malice, who is part of developing how people get superpowers. And in the comic books, uh, power broker incorporated is actually responsible for U.S. agent or John Walker and Battlestar Lamar Hopkins getting superpowers. And maybe they're still responsible um, for John Walker and potentially Lamar Hoskins eventually getting superpowers. I don't think they have any now or maybe maybe Walker has a little bit. I don't know. It's a little suspect, with as you pointed out, the action sequence that we see with the trucks uh, earlier in the episode. But it, it certainly seems like we have this idea of people getting superpowers. And as I mentioned since we had the text of, you know, somebody took something, you know, is what uh, the unknown, which must be the power brokers who was texting Carly Morgenthau earlier in the episode. So yeah, the Flag Smashers looks like they stole their super soldier serum for the power broker. Did they perhaps steal serum that was intended for John Walker? Maybe whoever appointed John Walker, the new Captain America, wanted to give him some super soldier serum and that was stolen from the power broker. And so that situation hasn't been complete. And maybe that's why John Walker really wants to go after the Flag Smashers, as he already knows they've stolen something that was intended from him, uh, intended for him. We don't really know exactly how deep this conspiracy goes and, and where there are connections and maybe where there are not necessarily connections, but parties with mutual interests anyway, even if they don't necessarily know it or we have overlapping interests anyway. But um, the power broker in the comics, it's basically that grants superpowers, does it for money. Um, and there was a new power broker more recently in the comic books. And that's the one that I'm more familiar with was the power broker during uh, Nick Spencer's Ant-Man run, where it even created like a hench app that where would give people superpowers. And then they're basically Uber drivers being supervillains for hire uh, <laughs> who are or Postmates or whatever. Right. Um, and they would get, you know, and the power broker would get a, a cut of their earnings so it is that basic idea that there's somebody who grants superpowers for money or to further other people's uh, certain uh, interests and things like that. So I don't know what the MCU version of of that is going to be, but at least we know that we we know the basic concept from the comic books. But I, I think that's where we are going to see the larger, the larger, the, the bigger picture that we're not seeing right now is it's like we have the flag smashers, we have John Walker, but you can just feel it in the story that. It feels like our, our biggest antagonist here, it's characters we're not seeing. Right. And, you know, and, and maybe it's because it, this is too big of a problem to really have it be 
one character. I mean, I don't even think the power broker is the limit of where things go as far as the anti- the real antagonist, the real root cause of the problems in this story. You know, the power broker is just somebody who's probably benefit, who's profiting from it. But there's something bigger in play here. And, and certainly the power broker, super soldier serums, it, it feels like that's, that, that's certainly going to be close to the center of it, if not the center of it. And who who knows all about that from the uh, December 16, 1991? <laughs> exactly, yeah. So when we talk about uh, Super Soldier Serum and we talk about right. Hydra secrets, because as Bucky pointed out, that's who Isaiah Bradley was talking about, that Hydra was still uh, working on him, experimenting on him, running tests and torturing him and whatever else, um, and, and taking advantage of the fact that this guy was was in jail so um, he says, you know, there's one guy who knows all of Hydra's secrets, and that yeah. is Zemo. So they say, we're going to go see, Z- Sam says it, we're going to go see Zemo. And then we see Zemo in his cell. And now we know why, how Zemo factors into the story, at least initially. And it makes all the sense in the world. Like, Zemo spent a year reading up on the entire Hydra shield info dump that uh, Natasha Romanoff let out at the end of Captain America, the Winter Soldier, like when she exposed all of those secrets, we know that Zemo poured over all of that. That was how he discovered the Red Book. That was how he discovered December 16th, 1991, the existence of those those other super soldiers uh, in Siberia, as well as, yeah, what Bucky had done to Tony's parents and the secret that was used to split up the Avengers. So Zemo is even though he was not actually a member of Hydra, he is the world's foremost expert on Hydra secrets because he read all of it. So it totally makes sense. And and I love this spot for Zemo, that it's not just this thing where he busted out of jail and now he's immediately going after Bucky and Sam. It's going to be more complex than that because now, and it doesn't surprise me, this is kind of what I suspected might be in general terms, not in a specific way, but the general idea that Zemo would come back into this because Bucky and or Sam would reluctantly have to work with Zemo. And that's what this is. And and so that's probably going to be how Zemo gets out of jail is not because he has to break out, not because he got out during the blip, but because he just gets to walk out freely or not necessarily freely, but walk out to help Bucky and Sam because that'll probably be a term of his uh, help is like, yeah, you got to let me out of here. You're going to have to bring me with you if you want me to help you. And This is where I I think it throws in some questions, though, about how Zemo is going to factor into this story, because we know the initial jumping off point is he's going to be, you know, Sam and Bucky have to work with him, even though they don't like him. Fine. okay, But where does Zemo stand on this? Like, does he still have a problem with Sam and Bucky or is he going to have I mean, really, he has a problem with any superpower beings. And you know, we know he says in the trailers, like superheroes, they should not exist. You know, superheroes should not exist. Well, he killed all those super soldiers that he found in Siberia. He wasn't trying to let them out or use them. And so if the flag smashers are super soldiers, he's not going to like them either. And so you can see right. Zemo taking issue with pretty much all sides in this. Um, and so where he's ultimately going to land, uh, you know, as far as what side he's going to be on, um, and he may only be on one side, his own side. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to watch uh, where things go with Zemo in this story. Yeah. So, like, like if if Sam and Bucky are like like rogue now, 
how are they going to get authorization to get him out? Like, are they going to like try to break break him out of prison? Maybe. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> Maybe. Because <laughs> because they're they're working off books now. They're not working with John Walker or anybody that has That's any true. like government authority. So yeah, I mean so that, that's interesting to see how they're going to do that. Yeah, I, I think that well, Sam ha- still has some contacts, right? Because he's got contracts with the military and stuff like that. Right. So maybe he'll be able to pull some strings. But I feel like that only gets him into the prison to talk to Zemo. Like, what gets mm-hmm. Zemo out of prison? And maybe they don't. You know, maybe it's a situation where they talk to Zemo and then they leave, and he gets broken out by somebody else, or you know, breaks himself out because maybe. Maybe after talking to Sam and Bucky, he decides, like, I really need to get out of here. Like, he was kind of okay with where he was at at the end of Civil War. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, he was in jail, but he accomplished his mission. And I mean, and he said that when when Ross was, like, talking about, oh, you know, how bad it was to see his uh, plan fail. And he says, yeah. did it? Because he knows it didn't. He wanted to break up the Avengers, and he did, at least for a long time. So if he accomplished that mission, maybe he felt like there was no need to get out of prison but now if he's feeling like well now there's super soldiers running amok like i need to i need to go stop that one way or another um so my mission my work is not yet done and there's more for me to do so if sam and bucky are not going to be the ones who help get him out uh then he's going to get himself out or maybe as i said somebody else might liberate zemo but yeah it's just cool (laughs) to see this character factoring you know coming back into play and i like the entry point for him into this story i think it makes a lot of sense and what's all the other lingering question that's there is remember that Zemo's name is on Bucky's amends list. Why? Right. As far as we know, Bucky doesn't owe Zemo anything like Bucky never wronged Zemo in any way that we're aware of. Maybe we'll learn about that in the conversation that they presumably have uh, next week. And also, as far as we know, Bucky didn't do anything. It's not that like that senator last week. It doesn't seem to be a scenario where Bucky helped Zemo rise to power. Or maybe he mm-hmm. did, and we will have to learn about that next week as well. But that's also something to continue to keep in mind uh, about where things are going to go from here and uh, as it relates to uh, to Zemo. But if we end up having this thing where Zemo is is more working alongside Bucky and Sam, even if, even if none of them like each other, since when do people have right. to like each other to go on superhero adventures together, uh, this could also be something that lays the groundwork for other things that we've speculated about over the past couple of years, like Thunderbolts and stuff like that, uh, which, of course, we know um, that Zemo as Citizen V is a part of in Marvel Comics. So maybe we're uh, maybe we we are shifting in that direction in this series. And we can certainly see how that might happen based on how Zemo is initially entering this story. So that was the end of the episode. But there is something else I, I want to talk about is where things go from here, not just with Zemo. I want to talk uh, a little bit of, a little bit more about John Walker and this character because I think that this episode gave us a mix of things for John Walker. I mean, certainly the idea was there that and Marvel could have guessed it easily that the MCU audience was not going to love John Walker and embrace this guy with open arms. And so initially what they did was they humanized him but then they gave us just bit by bit little pieces to be right. like, you know, maybe you shouldn't automatically hate this guy, but yeah, you're not really supposed to like him either. I think that's a great thing. I think that's like like busting the preconceived notions that Sam has to deal with in the first place. And they're 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 making us have to kind of take that back, you know, 
like like you said, like like automatically people didn't like him, and he didn't even say a word, you know, in the first episode, and then kind of like take that back a little bit, not 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 to judge a book by its cover, just base it on your own merit, and they're giving us a chance to like hate this guy, you know, but just just by him being him, basically, right? Yeah, and I, so. I think that's where. They, I think they're doing a really good job throughout the series, and, and John Walker is just another example of it, of removing simplicity from the equation, because this is just a story where things aren't so simple, right? Sam giving up the shield is not a simple thing. It's, it's a very complex set of issues that led to that decision. And Bucky, of course, has his own emotional complexity and the things that he's dealing with. And so this is a story where there just aren't supposed to be any easy answers. And I think John Walker is ultimately going to fit into that. And I, I certainly think that he should. I don't really anticipate, and maybe I'll be flat out wrong, but I, I think by the end of this story, I don't think that we're really going to see John Walker as just this obvious villain. And because, no. you know, you say, well, this is what they're going to reveal is that, you know, deep down, he's just. He's an overt racist. He's a Nazi. And like, he's just bad. And, and he's exactly as bad as the people who handed him the shield and all of those things. I feel like that answer is is ultimately too simple. And, and I don't think yeah. this story is, is really about providing answers that are that are so clean cut and, and so obvious, because I, I think when you look at John Walker and you just look at his background and you look at his life, he's in an interracial marriage with his high school sweetheart. He has a black best friend. He's been a hero in the, in the military. He has a lot of the things to that would back up his assessment of himself that he's a good person and that he deserves this. You know, he's earned, you know, even he does the oh shucks, how did I get here? He knows how he got there. And, <laughs> right. and he also knows that a lot of those things are valid. Like I've done things that, you know, that certainly don't make me a bad choice to be the new Captain America. Like I've I've done things to earn this. But what he's missing, though, is when you when you ask that question, like, how how is it me? Why me? I think he answers some of that question when you can go. He can look at his own resume and he can answer some of that question, but he can't really factor in all of it. As I said, you know, he's he's not necessarily checking his privilege and understanding how that plays a role in him being the choice in that part of the why me. But what he's also not at what he's also missing, though, is the bigger piece of that question which is, you know, why not someone else? You know, not just why me, but why not someone else? Why not Sam? Why not my own friend Lamar Hoskins? Why are they not up for consideration? Why were they never even factored into it? And of course, that's not even getting into, again, the whole idea that were any women ever considered for the role of the new Captain America? Probably not. And right. so it's John Walker. You know, I, I wouldn't say he's the kind of guy because he has been accomplished. I wouldn't say he's the kind of guy who was born on third base and, th and thinks he hit a triple. I would mm -hmm. say he hit a triple, but he doesn't realize that not that that there were a lot of other people who never even got to play. And right. so that's where I think for that's where I think there's value in John Walker is, yeah, he behaves these ways and he shows that he has blind spots and that there are things he does where. Again, it's he, he just has the privilege of doing so and he wields it freely without even really considering all the different things that it might mean with the way that he's be, the way that he behaves and the decision that he makes. I think there's more value in a story where a guy like that learns what learns the things that are wrong, where he actually gets the blinders removed a little bit and he actually sees the more of the world for what it actually is and sees the experience of others 
and gains gains empathy for the experience of others. Because if we're talking about a story that is dealing thematically in in racial issues, as this story clearly is, that's not me, you know, inserting that into the story. It's about that. It's in there. And even the the creators of the story confirm that in interviews. In case you're wondering if it's open to interpretation, uh, that part isn't. I mean, we can evaluate the quality of the insight and how they're addressing these issues, but whether or not they're attempting to, um, they clearly are. And so in a story like that, I don't know that there's enough value in just showing another guy who's obviously a racist or a Nazi, a Nazi Captain America and saying, oh yeah, that guy's wrong because everybody's going to agree that that guy's wrong. And I think that gives the audience an easy out to just say, well, yeah, I'm not like that guy and that guy's obviously evil. So we're good here. Um, we, we can all agree that that guy's bad. Could you could you see it the way like like they're everybody's after the same goal they just go about it a different way kind of like General Ross like you know Steve Steve isn't always just just trying to you know right wrongs it's it's the way he goes about it and even though like you could be on the same side you want you want to get things done you want to ultimately get to a goal everybody just goes about it the wrong way or, or a different way and like maybe that was that's what John Walker could be he could be necessarily wanting to do the right thing, but goes about it questionable methods. I I think it can be some of that. I think that it would also be, I mean, some of this stuff is like, he should know better. Uh, Some of this stuff, like he shouldn't just be wielding his power as as freely as he is. Um, But I also think it's that idea of him just not factoring in other things and, and not seeing the whole picture. It's one thing for someone like John Walker to think of himself as a hero and aspire to be a hero and mean to do the right things, intend to do the right things, and being able to honestly look himself in the mirror and say that he himself is not racist, and that's great, but that's not the whole story and that's not the whole picture because it's not enough to just simply not be racist. There's also the point that you need to be anti-racist, actively anti-racist. And that includes checking your privilege. That includes learning about systemic racism, institutional inequities, understanding your role in it, whether you meant to play a role or not, understanding the roles that others play, that other systems play, and working against that in a very active way and seeing a sense of feeling a sense of responsibility in doing that because it's the right thing to do. And I don't necessarily think that John Walker is factoring in everything. And you have to do that. You have to have that empathy and be willing to see outside of your own experience as much as you can. And then also listen to people who actually have that experience so that they can enlighten you. And that is how someone like John Walker might have the opportunity to grow and become better. And that's certainly not to say that it's going to be Sam Wilson or anyone else's job specifically to teach John Walker that lesson. But over the course of this story, as we're seeing, there are events and experiences that are revealing certain truths. And so whether it's a lecture that John Walker receives or maybe just things that he observes, I think it's more interesting to present a character with that information and see what they do with it, as opposed to just have the easy answer of, this person is obviously bad and nobody in real life, thankfully, is actually like this. Or if they are, we take them out and they go to jail and that's the end of it because that's really not how life works. That's It's not as simple as that. The good guys and the bad guys and how these systems come together and interact with one another and how they are upheld 
it's not a system, a set of easy answers. And so I would love to see something more complex with how they address John Walker. And then if he should be presented with an opportunity to learn and to remove his blind spots, so to speak, or have a light shining down on his blind spots so that he can actually consider a perspective outside of his own and experience outside of his own, what does he do with that? Does he learn from that and grow in a positive way? Or does he reject it because he's offended by the notion that he's imperfect and might actually have something to learn about the world? Or just reject it because he'd rather keep on benefiting from unfair systems? I would love to see that question be addressed with a character like John Walker, and I think that's a more interesting thing to do with that character than just have the easiest possible thing, which is he's obviously a bad guy, clearly a bad guy, and we just have to get rid of him, and everybody can agree that he was bad, and we all just move on, and we pretend like there's nothing else to really talk about, because that's really what this show is doing. It's not like the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is going to solve systemic racism. It's not going to solve institutional inequities. No show is going to be able to do that, but as the most mainstream of pop culture that there is, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has the idea, has the opportunity to ask certain questions and spark important and necessary conversations within our culture, and I love to see that so far it looks like Marvel Studios is very consciously trying to do that. Malcolm Spellman and team and Kari Skoglin as a director are very conscious about trying to do that, and I think they've done a very good job of it so far. And it can continue to get even more powerful because as much as we focus on John Walker here at the end of this episode, it still comes back down to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and more specifically the Falcon, Sam Wilson, and this decision that he's still facing, whether or not he decides to become the new Captain America. And that's all about what he wants to represent and what is a symbol and can a symbol that hasn't stood for everyone in the past. And, and that's why maybe Sam rejected it with the shield does it have the ability to do that if the right person is representing that symbol, if the right person takes charge of it and allows it to mean the things that it was always supposed to and just never quite did? And now Sam has another example, something else to factor in with the character of Isaiah Bradley and his story, in that here's somebody who maybe could have had the opportunity and certainly should have had the opportunity to be a symbol, to establish a legacy that others could get behind, and to be a symbol of hope for a lot of people, except for the fact that that possibility was removed from the equation by those who threw him in jail for 30 years and those who continued to make sure that nobody ever wrote about him, that nobody ever said the name Isaiah Bradley or the world never even got to know that there was a black super soldier. Maybe Sam will take the opportunity to be the symbol and to really take charge of that symbol of the of the shield of the stars and stripes to make it mean what maybe Isaiah Bradley could have done but never had that opportunity Sam may ultimately decide to take up that opportunity and take up the mantle of Captain America and be a symbol for everyone and should that happen it will obviously be very powerful for everyone inside the MCU as well as the audience watching at home and with the way things are going right now, the only thing disappointing about The Falcon and the Winter Soldier is that we only have four episodes left. I can't believe we're already just a third of the way through this series. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, it sucks that it's it's short, but it's a, it's a meaningful story. And I just hope that, you know, moving forward, we, we get more meaningful stories like this. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be wrapped up in just one story, like you said, but it, it's good to get the conversation started. No, it, it definitely is. 
Well, thank you, Robert, for joining me to break down this episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's always awesome to uh, chat with you, and we'll, we'll definitely have to do this again. Yep. Thanks for having me on, Sean. Thank you again to Robert for joining me on this episode of the podcast. And thank you as well to Phil A., Jeremy G., Marquise, Elisa B., Steve T., Aaron L., and Kevin S. They are the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, who now have access to some of those exclusive podcasts like Patreon Credit Scenes, where I'm talking about Black Widow being day and date on July 9th in theaters and on Disney Plus with premiere access. And those Patreon Credit Scenes are just a dollar a month. And then we have other tiers with other exclusive podcasts and that exclusive Discord community. So make sure you check out that address, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, or just go ahead and hit the link in our show notes. And then also be sure to follow us in all those places you can at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And don't forget to check out Paul's new YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. I had a guest spot on there talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League. And there will still be an audio podcast in which I'll be discussing Zack Snyder's Justice League. That's going to be on Fan Show Plus, another Patreon-exclusive podcast. But that is now officially it for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. For MCU Fan Show, I'm Sean Gerber. Take care. We'll see you next week. 